Welcome to the Unpolished MBA podcast. On this podcast, we have conversations with tech startup founders and entrepreneurs and traditional corporate MBAs. Many say that startups equal the unpolished MBA because those without the formal business education are scrappy and do many things untraditionally to achieve business success. But anyone who has built a business from an idea can attest to the fact that the experience is another level MBA and there's nothing quite like it. The candid conversation shared here is helpful to both sides of the fence. One is not better than the other, just different. Let's jump in. Hi, I'm your host, Monique Mills, and in my work, I get to have great conversations with a lot of smart and interesting people. Today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Brian Smith, the founder of a startup called Leon. He used to be a wellness professional and a pro sports performance coach, so he is well-versed in fitness and the data science behind performing well in sports. So you're going to hear how he transformed his knowledge into helping people be better employees and happier individuals overall. Just getting started in the startup world, but I would love to know why did you start it and where do you see it going? All right. So the first question I have for you, Brian, is are you entrepreneur or corporate employee? Uh, 100% an entrepreneur. MBA or no MBA? No MBA. Okay. So you said 100% entrepreneur. How did you get into entrepreneurship? And that was a, by the way, that was a very strong answer. So yeah, <laughs> you know what? It's a, uh, it's it's funny. My whole entire life, you know, I've always I've always been that person who sort of tries to make a like a dollar um, doing pretty much anything. Like, for example, with me and my friends, we used to, you're familiar with Christmas caroling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. We, we used to go Christmas caroling in July for money. Oh my <laughs> we'd knock on people's and pretty much sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, uh, you know, stick our hands out at the end. Or, um, you know, and, you know, we pretty much started Christmas caroling, you know, October, you know, leading <laughs> leading up to Christmas. And none of us were like, you know, we're all sports kids. It's like singing was definitely wasn't in our, our repertoire. And I'm sure we sounded very bad, uh, but it was a way to make money. Um, and then I also lived next to a golf course. So what we would do is we'd go into the woods or the, the creek beside it and we'd find golf balls and we'd, we'd set up a little table on a golf course and then sell the golf balls back to the golfers. for, for, for Smart. Nine. I call that smart. Yeah. So uh, I've always been that way. So yeah, wow. when I say 100% entrepreneur, I mean it in that sense. But I also too is, you know, I'm not a very sort of manageable person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't like sort of being told what to do. So it was like one of those things where uh, being an entrepreneur is probably my only option if I wanted to be happy. I hear that a lot from other entrepreneurs is like, hey, I like to, I like to basically do what I want to do and not in a bad way, but I want to work on things that I find interesting. I want to solve problems that I, that I want to solve. I want to help people or work with clients that I select, not want, you know, not just any, 
any project or what have you given to me. You mentioned that, hey, you were, you know, we're athletes. So how did you even come up? Can you even think back to how did I even come up with, let's get these golf balls and, and sell them back to the, to the players? Well, you know what? I mean, yeah, it, it's funny. Like I moved into that area when I was probably in like fourth grade and the kids that were like older than me by a couple of years, they were already doing it. So it was, it was definitely sort of a taught process for ah. me. Um, you know, but it's funny. It's like, I, you know, I think I had my first job folding pizza boxes at a pizza shop when I was, I think, in like kindergarten, right? It was like a dollar a day and they'd give you, you know, all the pizza and, uh, and, so, and root beer or whatever you wanted, right? So I think I was always sort of money motivated from a very, very young age. Well, you know what? It's, it sounds like um, one thing you mastered which, I mean, I don't know how some people feel about it, but um, I think it's smart. It's very clever. It's like, you're like, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like I learned the older kids did this. Um, And I think that the smartest entrepreneurs are are those that are able to build off the ideas of others. The smartest entrepreneurs see opportunities. There you go. Um, And that's what, especially within the startup space, in the startup space, you know, we're trying to solve problems Mm -hmm. and but you have to be able to distinguish what those problems are and where you fit within the market right now you're working on something new Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're working on now and then how you even decided to start this yeah sure um so i own a company called leon um you know leon we're, we're a couple years old right now but you know covid sort of forced us to pivot a little bit um, from our traditional business model, or maybe more accelerated it a little bit as far as where we wanted to get to. And in a sense, what we're, you know, our, our tagline is 85% of employees, you know, hate their job. And our goal and our mission is to make employees happy. And how we do that is by data collection. So, you know, we get an understanding of employee sentiment um, regarding burnout and mental health and wellness and performance and culture and all these other things. And then what we do is using AI we recommend specific services, um, specific content, and specific uh, sort of events that these employees can tie into to fix whatever issue they might have, right? So if we see that based off surveys and engagement metrics that an employee is trending towards burnout, what we do is we recommend a service like Headspace or Talkspace or SoulCycle or yoga or meditation specifically for that individual. All right. And then we also curate learning modules to help that individual understand exactly what burnout is, mm-hmm. how to fix it, why it happened and how to prevent it. And then we curate, um, you know, specific events, you know, so that could be virtual events, live events, pop up events, annual conferences, all designed to really superpower employees. Okay. Um, so we're like an employee advocate. Is it something that you're deploying through technology or is your company a service? and a technology company. Yeah, so it's it's a platform. Um, So from a company perspective, we obviously provide a service um, and that service is providing uh, people analytics to both HR managers and benefits managers and and sort of founder-led people, um, understanding the sort of the state of their team, all right? Um, And then, so once we get that data, then we end up being sort of the you know, quasi employee wellness provider per performance employee provider, all designed to help a company you know, create better, happier, higher performing, really badass employees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because like the, the entire thought of burnout, been there, done that, um, 
is is very rampant in the startup community because you know you're doing so much how do you even how, how are you balancing it are you using leon <laughs> right so you know? you know it's it's important uh, to understand my background so my background before i started leon i was in sports science for usa track and field so essentially what we did is we collected a bunch of data um, that could be blood analytics, that could be heart rate, that could be EEG, like, uh, like literally measuring brainwave activity to help us understand the readiness of an, a professional athlete to perform on an Olympic level. So essentially, we could predict injury or predict performance um, on, an, on, a, on an athlete. So, so what we did is we sort of parlayed that into employees. Right. So it's it's sports science, it's data science, but for employees. But to answer your question directly, you know, burnout is a, a physiological process, right? Where there's a lot of different things involved, right? You can test blood and understand if someone is someone is burnout. And I think a lot of times we look at burnt out burnout as a like mental state, which it is, but it usually starts with a physiological state. Um, so you know, how I manage burnout is you have to look at burnout as a holistic type thing, right? So you have to be, make sure you exercise, you have to make sure you're providing some sort of, you know, if it's mindfulness or yoga or meditation, you have to make sure your diet is on point, you have to make sure your family life is good. You know, all those things add into one big sort of stress ball of burnout. So you mentioned people, employees hate their job. And that's one of the things that your platform helps people work through what if they hate their job because it's not their thing right similar to you what if they just have the entrepreneurial spirit and they want to do something more is this something that can be picked on picked up on in your platform as well and and help guide them mm -hmm. professionally yeah so the metrics that the metrics that we that we track are going to be based off uh wellness which is a, a bunch of different things burnout performance and culture so we don't just work to fix the sort of mental or physical state of an employee. We work to make them higher performers all right, or better team players, right? Mm -hmm. So when we, when we provide content to an individual, say for performance, it's going to be, you know, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles talking about what a high performer is. Or um, actually, you're from Atlanta, so Mohamed Sanu talking about what you know, what a professional athlete does and how they look at performance. You know, so it's it like when I say it's about superpowering employees, it's about superpowering a human beings to be high performers and whatever you want to categorize a high performer is. But we want to make people better and human beings better. And the adverse, the effect of that is a, is a better company. Before you started doing all of this, what made you decide that this was the, the idea you were going to create a company out of though? Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what I said before that I was very bad on, on listening to people um, or, you know, I, that was as a child, as a kid or as a teenager, that was a negative thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't, I wasn't the best student. I probably got a lot in trouble. And what ended up happening is when I was 18, I, I joined the, the military. So I was in the army. And then when I was in the army, that was the, the first taste of, you know, discipline that I have ever probably received in my life. But it was also the first taste of accomplishment. Ah, which, which was, was super powerful for me. Uh, but what if you if you look at it, the scope as far as you know what I've done professionally, me being in the military was learning about how to 
superpower myself or optimize myself. And then progressing into sort of university and college and then going into sports science. And now, you know, I'm superpowering uh, athletes and then progressing that into, you know, the, the employer HR space. Now it's about superpowering or making, you know, better human beings or better employees. That little sort of kernel of, you know, shit, I can't listen to people. I need to do something about it. You know, let me start by making myself better and then applying that everything replying that professionally everywhere else. In your work though, as you're building a company basically from scratch, how is that on your mental well-being and your, you know, stress levels? In the startup world, VCs say are the dogs eating the dog food? Like are you able to eat your own dog food in this stage of your company? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, two nights ago, uh, I was we, we have some videos being produced right now and um I was, I got the video and I, I sent it around to some of our formal advisors for feedback. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, we invested a, a lot in this and, you know, I was like, super excited. And, you know, one of our investors came back and said, you know, I absolutely hate it. Um, we should not release this video, which, you know, happens. But I, I took that call as I was laying in bed, like probably like around like 9, 45, 10 o'clock. And it bothered me so much or, you know, I internalized it so much that I didn't sleep that night, like literally didn't sleep that night, mm-hmm. um, you know, and but that's what I've realized is, you know, this living living in the startup world, it is a constant roller coaster of emotion, mm-hmm. because especially as a founder, you're so attached to the success and the, I almost the ego of your company. Um, that every failure or every no or every rejection that you receive, you know, affects you personally. You know, it, it's a really tough thing. Or, you know, another example, we, uh, we released a, our landing page about a month ago. Um, and it was, you know, 85% of employees hate, your, hate their job, right? And that was our, our headline. And uh, we had over 125,000 hits to the website in 48 hours, <laughs> which is amazing, right? But that also came with about 300 direct messages to me, you know, saying pretty much like, how dare you say that, you know? Um, so, you know, wow. it's, it's amazing that you have all this success, you know, but at the same time, you have all these detractors and all these people saying, you know, pretty much calling me an asshole, you yeah. know, for doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think as a startup founder, you know, resiliency and is and mental health is so very, very important, almost more important than anything else, to tell you the truth. I think a lot of founders get caught up in what other people think when ultimately there there's pure, genuine sincerity in solving a problem to help people. And um as long as you stick with that mission, you'll be good. But you gotta you gotta like put on this <laughs> this armor vest you know, to kind of protect your, your spirit to keep you going. It's tough. Yeah, totally, totally agree. You know, I, I, I don't think, you know, if I didn't have my sort of, you know, background, you know, I think a lot of people, and it probably happens all the time, you know, where it just destroys people, it destroys companies and it destroys livelihood. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair, but it's sort of the part of the part of the world that we live in, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely applaud you for the work that you're doing. Um, it takes courage. I always, you know, anytime, I don't care if people say, oh, I had this company and I shut that company down and I started something else and I shut that down. And I'm like, still, that's, that's commendable. That is a success. Many people think about doing things and ever, never actually execute. And um, for anyone who has, 
stepped out and decided to execute on an idea. I have to give you kudos. Well, that's it. So what do you think? Are you built for this startup life? You know, Brian talked about having an entrepreneurial spirit his entire life, so much so that he sang Christmas carols for money in the summer months. He talked about also being a bit of a rebel, but then joining the military and feeling not just discipline, but also a sense of accomplishment. I'd argue that discipline is a part of success and helps you achieve goals. No matter what you do, there are always going to be times that are uncomfortable, things and people you don't like, but having the audacity to keep moving toward your goal anyways makes you a winner in my book. The Unpolished MBA conversation continues, and you can be a part of it by going to unpolishedmba.com. Thank you for listening. You know, like, girl, you know, like, like um, there weren't no women in my computer science classes, but there are definitely the ratio was probably much worse than it than it was even than it is even today. Um, and so, um, and so, after a year or so of coding, I kind of saved up my money and I went to Japan and studied uh, Japanese. And uh, at the end of that year, my Japanese was getting decent, and I th- I was getting I got really depressed though because it was time to come home back to New York, and I was like, well. I guess I'm going to have to work in a bank because uh, I thought like, who else is going to hire me? like a Japanese bank, maybe in New York, because who, who else is going to hire me for speaking Japanese and knowing computers? I, I mean, who's, who's so and I, that that prospect really bummed me out. So I turned the TV on and it happened to be this TV show uh, on Japanese TV, but made in New York about uh, like Japanese celebrities visiting New York and and living out their dream. So like one of them wanted to like meet Mick Jagger. One of them wanted to kayak around Manhattan. It just looked so cool. So I actually, when I I wrote down the production company and when I got back to New York, I wound up working for that company. Wow. And just like built doing like working on like Japanese TV shows, like a lot of news shows in the U S a lot of uh, those like wacky Japanese game shows before, you know, before America copied them all. Yeah. Uh, And uh, that went really well for a few years, but then the, like the Japanese economy kind of tanked uh, and the crews stopped coming. And also there was a little bit of a ceiling for me as a, as a non-Japanese person in sort of the Japanese media world. And so I started thinking about other things and um, you know, I had always had a kind of interest in business and um, uh, my, my fam, my, my great grandfather was an entrepreneur, started this factory in Brooklyn to like to build uh, trucks, all kinds of stuff. Wow. And so um, and so I applied to business school and I actually was rejected by uh, by all of them. Uh, what? <laughs> because uh, because they told me my, my GMAT scores are actually really good, but, but they told me like, your uh your your experience like this japanese tv show stuff like that's not relevant you know because they're, they're looking for people who are like you know worked at morgan stanley as an intern right. or something i don't know yeah. and uh 
And I think that's ridiculous, you know, like, um, it's just, uh, there was so much that I learned actually in that job, like budgeting and accounting and selling and and people like, wow. I, um, you know, but anyway, Wharton, it so happened has a, a, a dual programs uh, called the Lauder Institute, which is like MBA and you get an MA in international studies with a concentration in some country at the same time. And uh, at the time, I think they may still have it. They had a scholarship for certain language tracks. And so uh, as a Japanese speaker, uh, I was, I got a, 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 a scholarship uh, for that, that covered a lot of the costs of that MBA and that made it possible for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I was accepted there. So uh, right. that, was, that was how I got to business school. Wow. I mean, to think that that was like your last choice uh, school. Um, oh, I wouldn't say it was my last choice, but it was, it was the only one that took me. Let's put, wow. just say that, you know, My final question for you really goes into how your experience um, in the NBA, did it help provide you with the fundamentals that allow you to be successful today and in what ways? Yeah, there's, I I think there's NBA gave me a grounding in, um, you know, just sort of the tools and, uh, ways to think about business problems and evaluate business problems. I'm not saying you couldn't get those other places. You, you probably could. Um, I had a really interesting experience at Wharton um, that I think is relevant to. There was, a, uh, there was a management class where we got this personality test. So the teacher gave us one, it was like a Myers-Briggs type thing. It wasn't Myers-Briggs, it was like Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. And it gave you this, these scores. Uh, and based on the scores, you would, you'd plot yourself into one quadrant of this two axis chart. And the teacher asked everybody to come up to the front of the class and plot their score on the, on the chart. And I was in the back of the class. So I see everybody's going up and plotting their score in the upper right quadrant. And he, the professor remarks, he says, wow, you know, yeah, this is what I expected because, you know, this is the quadrant for people who are really well suited to business. And my quadrant, my score placed me in the opposite lower left quadrant. And he had actually labeled that quadrant, uh, uh, what do you call it? Oh, artists and mad scientists. <laughs> and, <laughs> so basically he's saying that's the quadrant of unemployable or right and not only that he he was like you know like i'm sure none of you are in this quadrant but if you are you know you might want to think about what you're doing here at business school like he thought it was so unlikely that he could say something like that and um and i was so embarrassed i was so ashamed of this that when i got to the board i just put my 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 score right at the top right with everybody else i lied basically and you know, it took me a few years, more than a few years, I think, to kind of embrace that that side. I, and I, I wouldn't say that I'm a total mad mad scientist and artist, but there's, uh, I don't know, part of that of me that uh, might be a little different from like typical MBA people. Uh, 
which is, and that's fine too, if you are one. Um, but uh, just to embrace that, I think took some time. And I often look back on that, um, that experience as, as something that was really influential to me once I could sort of grapple with it. Okay, that's it. Every time I speak with a guest about their background, it gets more and more interesting with each episode. But I must say, Andy's was quite unique. From going to Yale to study computer science, then becoming a coder, to then studying Japanese in Japan, to then working on Japanese reality TV shows, to then being rejected by all the MBA programs except for Wharton one of the top MBA programs in the U.S. He is the epitome of the underdog that always prevails. The Unpolished MBA conversation continues, and you can be a part of it by going to unpolishedmba.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.